Our New Testament passage today picks up in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going just a little shorter, or trying to, because Sister Bev is loving Ezekiel, as you saw the other day. Oh my goodness. So Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come. Now, oh my goodness, there's a mouthful. So first of all, the law, especially the ceremonial law, is just a shadow. It, it just shows us the symbols and types of the things to come. Okay, the, the lamb was just a symbol or a type. It's just a, a shadow of Jesus, the Messiah. The, the temple, even in all of its glory in the Holy of Holies, was just a shadow of the magnificence of the heavenly Holy of Holies. The law was but a shadow of the good things to come. Ah, you need to get a hold of that. Everything about the new covenant is good things. <laughs> oh, everything about the Messiah, everything about what our Savior lived and died to provide for in our life, those are good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities, all right, so the shadow is not a true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that they were continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near, all right? So the, the types, let me just put it this way, the types and shadows cannot change lives, but the blood of Jesus can. Ah, the types and shadows, the lamb that was slain once a year at the year of atonement cannot change a life. But the lamb that was slain, Jesus, he can change our life. Can't make anybody perfect. Can't change anybody. Otherwise, they would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having been once cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Listen, those old things, they never provided forgiveness. So there was no real sense of forgiven, of justified. Just wasn't there. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. <laughs> Instead of letting us know we're forgiven and we're justified, those sacrifices just reminded us of how horrible our lives were every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Old Testament ceremonial sacrifices could not take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, ha, 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 everything changes. This is the pivot point. And I, you'll see some of these little things in my Bible. Okay, This is one of those pivot points. When Christ came into the world, he said, all right, what are, what are the things that Jesus said? He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Ah, Jesus' body was prepared for him. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. It never pleased God, because every year it was still there. Constant reminder of the people's sins. But Jesus had a body prepared for him. Then I said, ah, this is what Jesus said. So just keep highlighting those. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. 
as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. All right. So the will of God for Jesus is in the book. It's all there. Sometimes you and I think, well, God's will is out here someplace else. The will of God for Jesus is found in Scripture. The will of God for your life is found in Scripture. Let me say that again. The will of God for your life is written in the scroll of the book. Quit looking for some existential experience, all right? Read your Bible. You'll find God's God's revealed will is written in the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the Lord. Then he added, now notice, he said, he added. These are all words of Jesus, all words of Jesus. Then he added, behold, I have come your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. So this shows us purpose to establish the second. This is the new covenant. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus died one time. Now, notice, by that will, what will? That will. That will. I have come to do your will. By the will of God, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart from sin to God for a holy purpose through the offering of the body of Jesus, this body that was prepared. Okay, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repetitively the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Now, now this is twice we've heard this, can never take away sin. So can't make us perfect, can't take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, again, one time, he sat down at the right hand of God. I like that. He sat down at the right hand of God. His work was finished. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. Waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Now, who are the enemies of Jesus? Satan, demons, rebellious man. They are the enemies of Jesus, and they will be made his footstool. Now, notice he doesn't make them his footstool. The Father makes his enemies his footstool. For by a single offering, now notice how often do we see this one-time concept, okay? Who by a single offering has perfected for all times, those who are being sanctified. Now, I want you to notice, made perfect, perfected. Okay? I want you to notice, this is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Those sacrifices of goats and bulls and lambs, they couldn't change anybody's life. But Jesus' offering of his body, 
And remember, the offering is his body, all right? He has made perfect for all time. So right now you are perfect in God's sight. In Christ Jesus, you are perfect. Those who are being sanctified. Now, sanctification is both instantaneous and a process. We are sanctified and we are being sanctified. This is God perfecting the good work he began in our lives, a continual setting apart from sin to God for a holy purpose. We've talked about that in our Roman study. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. All right, so the law is inside. Easy to obey from within. The laws of God are inside of us. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus lives within us. Remember, John 1, in him, he is the word, all right? The word lives within us. It is easy to obey what flows from within. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. All right. Old covenant, Old Testament, no forgiveness. New covenant, forgiveness. This is hot. The ceremonial law never changed anybody. What Jesus did for us, the reality of it. The ceremonial law, the Old Testament law, was just, forgive me, a shadow, verse 10, a shadow of the good things to come. Jesus is the reality. The shadow can't change anybody. Have you ever looked at your shadow coming behind you, especially like around four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun is going down, your shadow is very long. Have you ever noticed your shadow can't change anything? These things are just a shadow. The reality is in Jesus and his sacrifice of his body that was prepared for us changes everything. So that's why I put these little pivot point markers in my Bible. Jesus changes everything. All right, let's open up our hearts again in a time of worship and then Sister Beth. There's got to be more than going back and forth. Do it right to do it wrong. You see what's on it's who we are. Come on, get in line right behind me. You along with everybody. Making this world in what you
sing a filthy wretch like this, wrap him up in righteousness. But that's exactly what he did. No matter the fault, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross has Welcome back to Ezekiel. The two chapters that we're going to read from Ezekiel today, you might be with these two chapters because they are chapters that describe judgment. They're chapters that describe the wrath of God. 
and of course the sin of the people and what's going to happen because of the sin. And if it horrifies you, and if you think, wow, God is mad at them. <laughs> if you think of the wrath against sin that is poured out, there are two things that I want you to think about. One, I want you to remember the punishment that brought us peace that was put upon Jesus, the Lamb of God. See, it's so important for us not just to think, oh, God wants us to have a better life. It's important for us to think what it took for us to have life abundantly. It took Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus took the punishment that brought us peace upon himself. And of course, that's described also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. So when we read about the judgment of God and the wrath of God, we need to remember what it felt like for Jesus when all of the sin of the whole world was placed upon him. And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? My God, why have you forsaken me? God has to turn his back on sin. And so that's one thing that we need to remember. And we need to be so thankful for our salvation. And the second thing that we need to remember when we read about the judgment against sin is that there is something far worse than dying. And that is the second death. That is eternal judgment. Hellfires. We have to remember that, that those who reject the Lord, those who haven't accepted the Lord, this is a reality. And as horrible as it is to read about the judgment of God or the wrath of God, it is a reality that it's good for us to be reminded. And we are told that all scripture is profitable for instruction and for righteousness. So helping us to live right for God also means seeing what happens when people don't live for God, okay? So as we read about the judgment of God, you need to think about those two things and keep it in perspective. So Ezekiel chapter 6, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, there's that nickname, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and ravines and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you and I will destroy your high places. Yes, that's sin that God cannot tolerate. That he, and people exalting idols above the Lord. Your altars shall become desolate, and your incense altars shall be broken. And I will cast down your slain before your idols, and I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars. Wherever you dwell, the cities shall be waste, and the high places ruined, so that your altars will be waste and ruined, your idols broken and destroyed your incense altars cut down and your works wiped out and the slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, God always, always, always wants that those who are yet 
the remnant, those who are yet alive and remain, that they will know that he is the Lord. And one of the things that helps people know that is when he brings judgment against idol worship and those things that have been exalted above God. So it's really important for us to think in our lives, what have we exalted above God? What have we clung to that we don't want to give up? What relationship needs to be let go? What practice that we're doing in our life needs to be let go because we're exalting it above the Lord? Yet I will leave some of you alive. When you have, when and when you have among the nations some who escape the sword, and when you are scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive how I have been broken over their warring heart, their heart of prostitution that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring or whoring after their idols. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils they have committed for all their abominations. So these are people that live through all this judgment. They get taken captive and in their captivity, they remember the Lord. And it says when they remember the Lord, they become loathsome in their own sight for the evils they've committed. In other words, when you've been really, really doing bad things, and you know you've been doing bad things, and God has brought some kind of uh, consequence in your life because of the bad things, or you have brought it about, God has allowed that consequence to happen. When you are in the process of repentance, repentance is a process. Yes, immediately you turn away from it. You turn away from sin. You turn your eyes back to the Lord and you say, yes, Lord, I will serve you. But as you start to remember the Lord and as you start to get into his word again, then it starts dawning on you just how loathsome in the eyes of the Lord your sin was. And then, like these people, they were loathsome in their own sight. You start feeling really yucky about yourself. Oh, how could I have done that? How could I have done that? But it says, they sh shall know that I am the Lord. Hang in there. Part of repentance is coming to an understanding of how God sees your sin. When God sees your sin as horrible, as ugly, if you're going to repent, repent means to say the same, to confess means to say the same thing as God. So when you repent, you confess of your confess your sins, you're saying the same thing God says about your sins. And if God says that sin is ugly, then you say, oh, that sin is ugly. But of course, that's only a stage of repentance. And then you go on to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed us and cleansed us and made us pure in his sight and carrying on. Thus says the Lord God, clap your hands and stomp your foot and say, alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel. For they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die of pestilence, 
and he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who is left shall preserve, left and is preserved shall die of famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them, and you shall know that I am the Lord when their slain lie among their idols. Isn't that about three times just in this chapter alone that we have read that phrase? I told you it's a huge phrase. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, or then you will know that I am the Lord. God does so many things just so that we will know that he is the Lord. When their slain lie among their idols and around their altars and on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, these are all the places where their idols were, and under every leafy oak, wherever they offered pleasing aroma to all of their idols. And I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate and waste in all their dwelling places from the wilderness to Ribla. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Four times in one chapter? That's an important message that God wants us to get. He is the Lord. It's not these idols that we put before him. It's not these idols, these things we put before God. And an idol doesn't have to be a statue. An idol is an affection that we put before the Lord our God, and it becomes a stumbling block to us. These are things God will not tolerate because He is the Lord. He alone is our God. He is God. That is His name, and there is no other. Chapter 7. The word of the Lord came to me, and you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you. I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all of your abominations. That is the fairness, the justice of God. He judges us according to our ways. So our ways come upon our own head. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster. Behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It has wakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, a day of tumult. So there is a day of judgment. There is a time for judgment. You know, God is so patient, so patient. And yet there comes a day, there comes a time. You cannot get away with things forever. Sometimes it's something that bothers us, right? When we see the wicked prospering, when we see the wicked, it seems like they're getting away with murder. They're getting away with all kinds of horrible practices, the oppression of the poor, the oppression of widows and young people, children, the helpless in society. And it bothers us. Why are they prospering? But you don't get away with it forever because there comes a day. There is a day of judgment. And again, I say, thank God for the blood of Jesus, that we can turn to him and confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. 
Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. That's these idols, things they're putting ahead of God. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. So he's repeating that. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. Behold the day, behold it comes. Your doom has come, the rod has blossomed, pride has budded. Now there's a statement. (laughs) Pride has budded. We are to humble ourselves before the Lord. Isn't that right? Because when we allow pride, when someone says to you, oh, you're wonderful and you do this so well and you take all the glory to yourself and you don't give the glory to God, pride is beginning. When pride has taken root in your heart, sooner or later, it buds. And yes, there are people that they themselves, they're the one that they have put above God. They're the one that they say they know more. They don't need God. Pride buds, and we always have to remember that. It blossoms. It bears fruit in our lives. So there's no room for us to allow pride. Humility is the mark of a believer in the Lord. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth. Neither shall there be preeminence among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live. For the vision concerns all their multitude. It shall not turn back, and because of his iniquity, none can maintain his life. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without, pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword, and him who is in the city by famine and pestilence devoured. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves in the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth and horror covers them. Shame is on all their faces and baldness on their heads. They cast their silver into the streets. Their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of God. See, this is so important. People chase after wealth. They make it their God. That's the thing they put ahead of God. No, I'm not going to church on Sunday because I have this important client. And this is what we just want to do with with this client. And I am just doing this thing. And it's not, I'm not going to go to the house of God. And so you put wealth ahead of the Lord. In another place in scripture, it talks about fishermen worshiping their nets. (laughs) In other words, you turn to look at the thing that God has given you, this ability he gives you to get wealth, and you make that your God, and you start chasing after wealth. But ultimately, that very wealth you are chasing after, the silver and the gold, 
you'll throw it in the streets saying it's meaningless, it's awful, because it's not able to deliver you. It is not able to be your salvation. Only God is able to be our salvation. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. You see that? It was the stumbling block of their iniquity, this wealth, the silver, the gold, anything that they put ahead of the Lord God. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. That's what they did with their gold and their silver, made the images. Therefore, I make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for prey, and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and the holy places shall be profaned. Again, pride. Pride and idolatry, these things are twin sisters. They go together, or twin brothers, whichever you like to say. They go together. Pride, lifting up your heart against God, saying that something, or maybe yourself, or some material thing is more important to you than the worship of our true God. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there will be none. Disaster comes upon disaster, rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do it to them, and according to their judgments, I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. What do we learn from these two chapters? To make our ways, ways of humility, ways of seeking the Lord, of putting God first, of being in his house and worshiping him, putting him above all else in our lives, not exalting any person, any client, any wealth, any idol, anything above the Lord our God. There is nothing that should keep us from humbly serving the Lord our God. And if you have sin in your life today, because maybe during this quarantine, in your isolation, in, you got into something really bad. Maybe you got into pornography and it started to control you. Maybe you got into other things, sinful relationships or sinful things. Repent. See, there's a good solution for sin, repentance, because the blood of Jesus washes us from all sin. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's do that. Humble ourselves, and he will be the one to exalt us. Ask God to forgive your sin, and he will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that is our chapter readings from the book of Ezekiel for our devotions today. And we thank you for joining us. 
we just ask that you will join us again for our evening service tonight at 7 p.m. right here in the same place. Amen.